0: of causes and consequences. The next morning, I continue on my way. The remains of Elmet lie beneath my feet. Chapter One We arrived in summer when the landscape was in full bloom and the days were long and hot and the light was soft. I roamed shirtless and sweated cleanly and enjoyed the hug of the thick air. In those months, I picked up freckles on my bony shoulders, and the sun set slowly, and the evenings were pewter before they were black, before the mornings seeped through again. Rabbits gambled in the fields, and when we were lucky, when the wind was still and the veil settled on the hills, we saw a hare. Farmers shot vermin, and we trapped rabbits for food, but not the hare, not my hare. She lived with her drove in a nest in the shadows of the tracks. She was hardened to the passing of the trains, and when I saw her, I saw her alone, as if she'd crept out of the nest unseen and unheard. It was a rare thing for creatures of her kind to leave their young in summer and run through the fields. She was searching, searching for food or for a mate. She searched as if she were a hunting animal, as if she were a hare who had thought again and decided not to be prey, but rather to run and to hunt, as if she were a hare who found herself chased one day by a fox and stopped suddenly and turned and chased back. Whatever the reason, she was unlike any other. When she darted, I could barely see her, but when she stopped for a moment, she was the stillest thing for miles around. Stiller than the oaks and pines, stiller even than the rocks and pylons, stiller than the railway tracks. It was as if she had grabbed hold of the earth and pinned it down with her at its centre, and even the quietest, most benign landmarks spun outrageously around, while all of it, the whole scene, was suckered in by her exaggerated, globular, amber eye. And if the hair was made of myths, then so too was the land at which she scratched. Now pocked with clutches of trees, once the whole county had been woodland, and the ghosts of the ancient forests could be marked when the wind blew. The soil was alive with ruptured stories that cascaded and rotted, then found form once more and pushed up through the undergrowth and back into our lives. Tales of green men peering from thickets with foliate faces and legs of gnarled timber. The calls of half starved hounds rushing and panting as they snatched at charging quarry. Robin Hood and his pack of scrawny vagrants, whistling and wrestling and feasting as freely as the birds whose plumes they stole. An ancient forest ran in a grand strip from north to south boars and bears and wolves, does, hearts, stags, miles of underground fungi. Snowdrops, bluebells, primroses. The trees had long since given way to crops and pasture and roads and houses and railway tracks, and little copses, like ours, were all that was left. Daddy and Cathy and I lived in a small house that Daddy built with materials from the land hereabout. He chose for us a small ash copse, two fields from the east coast Main Line, Far enough not to be seen, close enough to know the trains well. We heard them often enough. The hum and ring of the passenger trains, the choke and gulp of the freight, passing by with their cargo tucked behind in painted metal tanks. They had timetables and intervals of their own, drawing growth rings around our house with each journey, ringing past us like prayer chimes. The long, indigo adelante and pedalinos that streaked from London to Edinburgh. The smaller trains that bore more years, with rust on their rattling pantographs. Old cart-horse trains chugging up to the knacker. They moved too slowly for the younger tracks, and slipped on the hot-rolled steel like old men on ice. On the day we arrived, an old squaddy drove up the hill in an articulated lorry filled with cracked and discarded stone from an abandoned builder's yard. The squaddy let Daddy do most of the unloading while he sat on a freshly cut log and smoked cigarette after cigarette.